You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Disclaimer. By the sole act of opening this book, you acknowledge your complicity in the domain-spanning conspiracy that denied me, Aslan Rex, Wizard King of Darken, of my rightful place as both author and cover model for what could have been so much more than this doubtful collection of lies and slanders. Fortunately, as I've recently found my immortality unburdened by the trivial of rule, I have endless opportunity to pursue thorough vengeances for even the pettiest affronts. Please prepare for my coming. I expect to be quartered in the utmost comfort while we personalize your redefinition of the word horror. Welcome to Tabletop Arcade, this is Justin, and today I am bringing you a review of the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition sourcebook, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. This is a newest supplement for the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. It's published by Wizards of the Coast. Clocks in at just under 250 pages. Price tag is $49.95. And overall, the book itself is designed as a way to introduce horror and horror themes into your D&D games. This has both an original cover and alternate retail cover. If you go through your friendly local game store, you can get that uh, if they're still available. For the most part, the big thing I want to bring up in the very forefront is that this book is primarily aimed for dungeon masters. Players beware. I will be having some spoilers throughout this as I discuss the things I enjoyed and things that I did not so much during this uh, reading of this book and some of the things I have taken away from it for myself and might be implementing to my own players at some point in the future. So let's take a deep dive overall. We have five chapters. Uh, Chapter one is primarily aimed at PCs and player creation. Uh, Chapter two talks about creating a domain of dread. Chapter three is sample domains of dread, including some classic ones and some new ones. Chapter four goes into running a horror-themed adventurer, including a prefabricated... uh, level one through three adventure already presented in the book and then chapter five is kind of an additional monster compendium mixes up and includes some of those more horrific creatures uh but first let's talk a little bit about introduction let's start there initially the book has handwritten notes from iconic ravenloft themed characters uh both esmeralda or now known uh shortly as ez uh to van richten himself it's A nice standard overview, trying to get through all the goods and bads of what's in this book, what you're going to be using it for, what are the one thing I do enjoy in some of these um, Seven Secrets of Ravenloft, what you should be knowing when you're talking about Ravenloft as a general. Now, Curse of Strahd, the D&D 5th edition venture, is set in Barovia, which is a domain of dread within Ravenloft. From a meta perspective, we're talking a big thing going on for the high level, and then Barovia and is just one of the many domains of dread. Uh, so it does talk about the dark powers and most importantly it talks about the mists and the fact that 
in fifth edition, unlike prior editions, Ravenloft is not a world unto itself that is inescapable, which was a huge story hang up for a lot of people in prior editions. The nice thing about this one is it is pocket dimensions within the Plane of Shadows, so technically you can't escape from it. But because of the nature of Ravenloft and the domains, it can be very tricky. Uh, and even the Dark Lord that resides within it could potentially close the borders and make it almost impossible to escape. It does talk about the Lands of Mist and how the, they kind of separate and protect everything. And realistically, the Domains of Dread should be considered prisons for individuals who are the Dark Lords. We technically kind of have a little bit of power, may or may not know what they are, but this is a personalized section of hell for that particular individual. It's complete with nightmare logic and all sorts of things. And the first introduction really just kind of breaks down what I just did. What are the dark powers that can kind of control the mists and the domains themselves down to what the Dark Lords are like and what they can or cannot do. And then some sample of uh, ideas of what adventures are. Most of the art falls into two pieces for me. It's either big action-y splash pages or small little like thematic atmospheric art and i really dig some of the atmospheric art more dungeon and dragons fifth edition does hit a little bit more of a heroic stance when it comes to rpgs so i understand that so let's talk about chapter one and the player options essentially they kind of go out the gate trying to make sure that there is consent with horror because this is a collaborative storytelling game they also go into describing that horror and scared for your character is not the same as scaring the pc or player themselves and it's a very distinctive line that you need to be careful of when crafting horror genre games. The lineages kind of add-ons to a character. They're more of a subset of things like if your character became a Dampier or if your character is a Hexblood and have some of these potential lineages that may change them from their standard race into one of these more interesting horror-themed options that definitely fit in the Ravenloft tome and setting. The Dampier are nice because it's kind of a vampire light x-blood again it's kind of like a hag light version so they're not definitely overtaking so much that you're playing a monstrous race but definitely getting that monstrous or dark power feel into them the reborn are a little bit interesting because it sounds more like they're undead but they're not really a construct they're not really a traditional undead they're kind of a soul to that fatal ends and the scarring from it They've been touched by death, but otherwise could maybe be like a Frankenstein-style reanimation or otherwise magical reincarnation uh, animation. So you got a couple different options with that and how uh, different domains of dread deal with the reborn, and, and you could flavor them in a couple different ways. The dark gifts are one of those things you can get somewhat nice bonus, but usually at a penalty. There's not always a reliable way of using them. So I really do enjoy the dark gifts, whether it be uh, Voices from Beyond, having a living shadow, uh, to just being a uh, Mistwalker naturally, opposed to having to need uh, talismans. There are two subclass options that were added in this book. There is the College of Spirits Bard. Think of your seance bard or psychic fortune teller, and that's kind of where the theme for the College of Spirits goes. Uh, working with spirits, talking to them, getting the whispers, learning things and secrets from them. Where Warlock's got the undead patron, so if you wanted to have your pact with a lich, vampire, or other powerful undead, 
they have all of that and you get some of those undead features tied to yourself which is kind of nice in that one i kind of like the warlock on the undead warlock a little bit more than the college of spirits but realistically if you've got an idea that sparked from it run with it that's what they're there for last thing uh they have a couple or a couple more things for players directly is some general background features that you can swap out uh, that are themed into the Ravenloft, like being a Mistwalker, being a Traveler, being an Inheritor of Power or a Medium, keeping with that, your personalities, your bonds, your flaws, all with a horror twist. I'm very happy to see a lot of those extra tables being reprinted with. Here's some ideas to get the, the brain juices going for that. The one I really enjoyed is a whole new list of horror trinkets, and the trinkets I always like are the weird, creepy things, like the music box that shouldn't work but does so we've got things like clothes stole from a scarecrow a mummified raven's claw to a electrum with your own face on one side that's chapter one and that's really aimed at players and overall chapter one's great is it really super deep and detailed if you are just a player character you may not necessarily be that interested in those options if you are or playing a raven loft style game in the domains of dread then Definitely take a look at them. If you are not, they're not going to get the mileage that you're looking for, uh, in my opinion. Now, chapter two is probably one of my favorite chapters out of this book because it deals with the domains of dread, customizing them and creating your own. So it talks about starting with a dark lord and then crafting what would their prison look like in a domain and what maybe who they were, what they did, what caused them to get the dark masters to pull them into this and kind of build it from there. They do have some tables and charts to kind of give you some uh, random or you can select them or just inspiration. Ultimately, the only downside I have to this chapter is it's short. I would hope for a little bit more out of it, but um, the one thing it does dive into that I did enjoy was the genres of horror. So when you look at horror movies, they don't all look the same. There is, you know, you got psychological horror, body horror. You have cosmic horror, you have slasher films, just and then you have like your grim, dark, dark fantasy stuff. Like, there's a lot of subgenres within the horror genre, and that's one of the best things that is called out in this book. Is there are different ways to express horror, and there are different ways to manipulate and tell a story through a horror setting that aren't always going to be the cookie cutter. One thing that they do call out in a couple sections in talking about the overview of like body horror or cosmic horror is that. There is a history in those genres of making disabilities a monstrous or trope, and it does warn you about some of those tropes that may not be something you want in your game. One thing that they do do is they offer a lot of plots, settings, villains, and charts to just kind of like, here's, you know, you can roll on it, you can choose on it, or again, use it as inspiration for your own story. And they dive into some of them. my personal favorite, what they call folk horror, so these are uh, fairy tales and things of that nature that are a little bit darker, a little bit scarier. Children going missing in the night, or you can have things like a mysterious villager running from a local cult to working with a lot of the more fey monsters. So not just werewolves, but hags, will-o'-wisps, cultists, and body takers. That's kind of where your folk hero comes in, and I really enjoy that as an element. So one other thing that they do do is they don't deep dive into things like occult detective, disaster horror, psychological or slasher horror as much. 
There's a lot more references to that. The one thing I will say that they do nicely is in the next chapter, in chapter 3, you have a deeper dive in the domains of Ravenloft, the ones that are pre-existing and what the mists are like there, what the people are like there, what are some notable, notable locations, who the Dark Lord is there, and what's their story, as well as, hey, what are some adventures you may have in these particular domains? Uh, each domain sample also has a small sidebar for PCs, which is, if you're making a character from Barovia, for example, what are some things you may want to think about in your character story and your background? And maybe you have... Uh, some ties to the Vishanti or Strahd himself. Maybe not. And those are things that are important to have in there. What, you know, how is this information useful and not just here's some lore, run with it, but here's how you can use that lore in your game. So this is probably the bulk of the book, to be honest, is going through all these domains uh, themselves. I'm not going to go through them directly. I will call out some of my favorites, though. You do have... Barovia, which is a time-old D&D classic. I like Barovia. It is fine as it is. I'm very glad to see that Ravenloft does not primarily focus on it, though. It does talk about it. If you haven't played Curse of Strahd, it definitely you can use it. But it doesn't necessarily say, this is the big, bad Barovia. What else is there, is the big question. My first favorite is called the Carnival. That is a domain of wonders. There is a huge fey attachment to it, because this is a domain that doesn't necessarily stick within the lands of the mist and it can pop into other realms and you can drop this into an Eberron game or you can drop this into a Forgotten Realms game as a side adventure dealing with some of the weirdness that is the Ravenloft Domains of Dread but not necessarily focusing a whole campaign on it. Now the thing I do really love about it is it is a carnival of prisoners essentially because while they're always traveling they're always good and it's not necessarily all bad there they're stuck in the carnival, so you might pick up some new unfortunate souls. They're kind of on the run from the Fae, and a particular Archfey in that. Demiletu is another one that I really enjoy. The domain itself is really just a, uh, a city capital, but it is a decadent capital with balls and gallows all the time, and everyone's masked, and you have this gothic horror, this dark psychological horror attached to it. And the grand masquerade happens in the dark lord there if you are found to violate any of her rules or or are not invited and are there uh, she will punish you by turning you into dust and unmasking you and it's just like this cool like from a player perspective of like holy crap what did that just happen what are we in for do we actually have legit invites is like all i can think of when i was looking at that the other one I will call out for myself directly that I did enjoy out of this was Tepes. Again, it has that fey bargain, nature worship, a green hag who's murdered her sisters, or <clears throat> imprisoned them, runs this domain, and everything is like this, do you want to appease her? Everyone's doing everything to make her happy. Um, few field children are born, but those are those that are, are usually by her blessing. It kind of gives that Baba Yaga sort of feel to it. So I really, really did enjoy reading through and seeing Tempest, and I definitely saw some things in there. Now, the last thing, after going through all these big domains, um, they do have a lot of little quarter-page, half-page uh, domains that they give a sample of where it's not as fleshed out, much like they do the big horror genres, but then there's some sub-genres that they tell you but don't really flesh out all the way. 
Uh, I do have a favorite in there, and that is actually the one for Eberron, the Siri or Sire, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, 1313, the Morning Rail. So the Day of Morning, for those who are not familiar with Eberron, is a big catastrophe event. And this is like a ghost train that everybody on it is dead. They were trying to flee this disaster, and now they're stuck in this domain. I love the idea of a ghost train. And then the lightning rail itself is just a lightning ghost train. So come on, what's wrong with that? Now, the end of this chapter three does start talking about those that travel the mist or the mist wanderers. And there are certain groups that are touched in here. And that's important to call out. There's not only the keepers of the feathers. So those are the messengers between domains, but there's the Vajanti, which are your traveling aroma inspired culture play a big part in Barovia. But they can appear and do appear in other domains, too, as kind of a folk that can transverse the, the myths, but really don't tie themselves to any one particular domain. There are some other groups as well that it kind of talks into, but those are the big two. The last thing that it, Chapter 3 dives into, then, is uh, some of the named individuals that transfer between the domains, folktale characters or creatures called the Caller, Esmeralda, or as the Van Richtens. They're all kind of called out here, as well as some less, uh, including more scrupulous characters too. Now, chapter four. This is a chapter I think some of it could have been placed in the introduction. I would have liked it a little bit better. The very beginning talks about preparing for horror and talking about a session zero, talking about consent with your horror genre, things to plan for what gameplay questions to kind of ask and how to kind of set the mood for a horror game. Now, I think this should have appeared a lot sooner in the book, like in that introductory sub chapter before chapter one really kicks off into player stuff just to kind of frontline it. They do talk a little bit about it, but the big amount of that discussion of how to approach a horror game and then how to approach a horror game on keeping the social contract between you, the GM, and your players in your forefront of your mind sitting in the back half of the book i think is just not quite the right placement for it the other material that it's with is how to build adventures how to instills like some maybe some sub mechanics with a taroka deck or spirit board how to work with curses or fear or stress from almost a game mechanics level of how to express that into your characters those are all good things for your horror adventure chapter. They even have horror traps, which I think is really cool. And then it the, the chapter itself wraps up with a sample adventure that is good for levels 1 through 3, which is essentially a big creepy haunted house. The haunted house is actually alive. You may have seen this movie before. I really dig it because it talks about doing seances. It talks about how that would work in a game setting. It talks about ultimately it shows you how you can write a horror adventure. And this is just one thing you can draw, take out of here, drop into your campaign, or not. Or, as always, use it as inspiration. Lastly, monsters. There are some cool monsters in here. Nothing too surprising, though. It does talk about, and I think it's very important in the very beginning of the monster section of this book, is how to take a standard monster, tweak it just a little bit, whether it be a descriptor, whether it be a flavor, whether it be just how it tactically works and give it a little bit of a horror twist on it. Not everything has to be a designed uh, scary monster. You can take a goblin or pack of goblins that decide to use some tactics like uh, dog piling onto a fallen enemy and eat biting at their face may not be effective, 
but it definitely is a scary, terrifying thing to think about. And then, because it wouldn't be uncouth, it new monsters are actually listed in here too, with all the stat blocks. And there's some good, notable inspirations. There's a uh, Loop Guru, there is a Nosferatu vampire, which are variants of their original uh, vampire and werewolves. Uh, Star Spawn and Brains in the Jar, kind of giving you that cosmic horror H.P. Uh, Lovecraft-style monsters uh, back into the game without actually calling them that. Options for Mind Flares, some options for Swarms. I did enjoy seeing Swarms. And really the big one is Unspeakable Horrors, so like the monster that you can't describe how to build one of those and just really, you know, stat block it out for someone to have to potentially kill. And the other big one is Swarms. D&D already has a couple swarms, but this is like swarms of maggots, swarms of uh, zombie limbs, or honestly just swarms of scarabs for that Egyptian horror or mummy horror. With that being said, there is also bigger session of how to do zombie hordes because one of the domains does touch on a, a zombie apocalypse sort of thing. So they do expand on how to do big zombie fights because relatively a zombie is a zombie, pretty easy to take down, but numbers and the fact that they're tireless and have no pain are definitely the horror elements that you need to play up when using zombies in a horror-based game. All in all, my final thoughts on Van Richting's Guide to Ravenloft are simply this. If you're a player that's going to be playing in a horror-based game, it is definitely some has some options for you to consider or look at for your character and to think about as far as your character background. Otherwise, players really don't need to worry about this book. Now for DMs, if you're looking to build a horror game, if you're looking to play with the Domains of Dread, if you're looking to run uh, Castle um, Curse of Strahd, Curse of Strahd has a lot of this kind of preset in it, but I think the Guide to Ravenloft combined with the Curse of Strahd campaign can really flavor it up and give you that much more ammunition. Overall, this is not a book for everybody. I don't think this is something that I would point to like Xanathar's Guide to Everything or even Tasha's Cauldron of Everything that yes every player of D&D should probably look at these books because they're going to be relatively useful. This is a game book that is very much like most of the campaign settings. If you have a purpose if you have a drive to use it it's going to be good for you. Otherwise maybe pass on it. The standard price of $49.95 it is a 250 page book it is well put together well laid out um, beautiful art throughout our RPG books are tending at that $50 mark. You get what you get out of it. I think there are some books that get you a little bit more bang for your money as far as gameplay goes. It still has the same amount of content. It's just whether it is useful for you or not is more in up to you. This has been Tabletop Arcane's review of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can follow us, like, subscribe, Hit that notification so you can find out when we have new content up. Until next time, happy gaming. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, produced by Justin Taylor. This episode is hosted by Justin Taylor. Mixing and editing by Richard Geese. Original theme by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. Check the description for this episode's featured background music. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow, and leave us a review if you would. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.